Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Well, good evening, everyone. It's lovely to see all your pretty faces. Um, it's good to be here on this. Um, I was just walking outside to get another coffee, and I smelt the wafting of sticky date pudding. So I'll get through this as fast as possible so we can um, have some pud, you know? And it's, all, it's always good having pudding before, des- for, before dinner as well. So this is, we're in for a real treat. Um, so I'll keep this as brief as possible. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Tim, so I'm an associate pastor here, and I... Um, Usually I'm either doing something to do with the band or sharing and talking. And um, I'm really excited to be talking tonight uh, in this evening as part of our On the Road series. Um, We've been doing this series called Pilgrims this year where we're looking at this whole idea that life is this journey that we're on. That we're actually all on this pilgrimage as we're working out who we are, what's going on here, and where we fit in this whole piece. And this term in particular we've been looking at kind of this this series called On the Road. Where actually road stories within scripture and within our our own lives and how we can like learn from the scriptures and learn from stories and testimonies of, of People in our midst. Last week we had nine, so we heard from Joel and Carly and Trent, which was really cool. Why don't we snap them just for last week? That was awesome. Um, and it was cool. And tonight, I think, um, earlier this week, I heard that Vic was talking about gratitude, right? And, and that inspired me. I guess what I'm going to talk tonight about is embracing change, like and embracing change open-heartedly and um, open-handedly, right? And there's certain things like gratitude and there's certain things like embracing change, which are you can't walk away from a message about embracing gratitude and be like, no, like that's a terrible idea, right? There are certain principles in life that it's like, it's probably going to be better for me and everyone else if I am more grateful about stuff, right? Same with change, right? It's probably better if um, we like learn to embrace change. There are these key kind of messages which are just so important to be reminded of tonight. So, so th- I guess tonight is this broad look over change and how we can do that in, in like an open-handed way because it's something that's facing us constantly, right? Like um, from your prayers before, Vic, we're just reminded that people have stuff going on in their lives and everyone in this room will have things going on in their lives, things that are shifting, whether it's work, whether it's family stuff, whether it's relationships, whether it's friendships. We all walk in and we have our stories, we have our backgrounds, we, have, we come into this place and things are shifting and changing, right? Like life is a constant change. So um, learning to embrace change is such an important principle. So hopefully tonight will just be a, a big broad overview of some kind of ideas on how to do that or how to kind of approach that in a healthy way. And um, I, think, I think it's, um, I'm aware that actually we've all got different stuff going on and I Within that, I don't want to approach this lightly, and I don't, I'm not speaking to anything specifically, but this message, I just hope there's one or two nuggets for each and every one of you that will be useful or will be helpful, you know? And it's just one of those things, ah, maybe I've become stuck, and I've become clinging to, I've clung to something, and I just need to let go, or maybe I need to step into something new, right? And that will be different for each and every one of us. So why don't we um, start on that? Um, with, this, with this message, I, um, has anyone seen this movie? It's called Midnight in Paris, otherwise known as the third greatest movie of all time, behind Shawshank Redemption and About Time. Tangled's up there as well. Probably Wally. Wally as well is another good one. I love, 
I loved uh, I loved Midnight in Paris. One because I think Owen Wilson's the most underrated actor of all time. He plays he plays himself in every movie, and it's beautiful. Like I love his his nose. You know, like his, he's got such a dynamic range. I actually read a I read like a, a extensive article yesterday about him, and it was talking about how he somehow he embodies this childlike innocence and this poignancy and sadness at the same time. You know, I was like, that is so true. It's just, there's depths to his characters. But I don't, if you haven't seen Midnight in Paris, your homework is to watch it when you get home. And um, it's a beautiful film. With this film, essentially the premise is this guy, he's a writer and he like, he's in love with like Paris, like, but Paris in the 30s when there was Hemingway and there's all these writers, Fitzgerald, all these kind of guys. And he's like, man, wouldn't it be so cool to go back to that time? Um, And then through some bizarre, unexplained way, he jumps in a carriage and then does get transported back there and then falls in love. And then and there he, he goes back even further back to the 1870s and this kind of stuff. And within the film, it just, it's, it's exploring this idea of like golden age thinking or nostalgia, right? This whole thing of like, man, back then was so much better than now. And um, it's interesting. So that's called nostalgia. Nostalgia as a term, when it came through, it was originally used to denote an illness, of obsessive thoughts about the past or obsessive thoughts about going back. We don't, we don't see it necessarily in that way because it's good to look on the past, right? But we can so often have this idea of, I wish I could go back to the way things were. I wish we could go back to those times. I wish we could go back to the good old days. And you hear that in so much political rhetoric as well, right? If only we can go back to the good old days, which was usually just good for white men. Um, but like... Like, there's all this kind of, like, this, this can we go back? And it's like, and we have it as well. Like, can we just hold on to what we've had? Can we maintain it? Can we just hold on and clench fist around this holding to what's been or wanting to go back? We can become clench fisted and obsessed with holding on to the past and obsessing with the past, which is absolutely fine, except, like, life has changed. Life is change. Our lives are on the road, and on the road when you're journeying along, everything is changing all the time. And this is a real dilemma because we both have a need for control, but reality is so much out of our control. We, we love that sense of holding on to things and having stability or wanting to think, keep things as they are because it, it really appeals to our sense of order and structure and stability. But the reality is so much different than that. Reality is constant change, and it shifts in friendships, it shifts in relationships, it shifts in workplace scenarios. Change is the only constant in life, right? And it's a struggle because change is often out of our control. So it faces us, you know, and maybe something in your life is changing at the moment, and that's that you feel frustrated by it, and maybe you're trying to cling on to what's been, or you're holding on to what's been, and it might not be going too well for you. We can become stuck in the past. And, and our need for security and control can leave us stuck in the past, worried about the future, and blind to the present. If we become too clingy towards what's been or worry too much about what's ahead, we can become so fixated, we can become so clenched fists that we have no opportunity to pick up anything new or we can't let go of things that we need to let go of. Or our hearts grow cold or nervous or fearful towards what's ahead, right? These are all things that can, can happen. It's, um, it's a difficult reality to face because we love being in control. We love holding to things as they are. We become stuck. We become clench-fisted, and we become closed-hearted to protect ourselves, right? Because it's all about security and control. But life doesn't work like that, because so much is outside of our control. So I want to share a parable about a horse. Um, so this is Maximilian from Tangled. I don't, I don't know. For some reason, I just chose to have movie characters. Uh, I think in terms of 
uh, cute animals in movies. I think Maximilian Pascal from Tangled are my favourites, you know. They, they supersede. I've never been a Finding Nemo kind of person. I was very much these guys just take the cake. Maximilian's definitely a one. So um, if you haven't seen Tangled, like he just he exhibits all that, all the kind of like dum 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 dum. That we're not, what we do is we don't shame specific Enneagram numbers here. I've been told. <laughs> um, but here's a little parable, and um, you never want to explain a parable, so hopefully it speaks for itself. Okay. Once upon a time, there was an old man in China who had one horse and one son. One day the horse wandered away and was lost. Upon learning this, the neighbor went to the old man and told him that they were sorry to hear about his bad luck. How do you know it is bad luck, he asked. Soon thereafter, the horse returned and brought back with him many wild horses. Upon learning this, the neighbors again went to the old man, this time congratulating him on his good luck. How do you know it's good luck, he asked. Having so many horses, the son took to riding, and it so happened that he was thrown from a horse and broke his leg. Once again, the neighbors went to the old man, this time expressing sorrow at his bad luck. How do you know it's bad luck? He asked again. Soon thereafter, a war broke out, and the old man's son, because the injury, did not have to go to a war. You know, the truth is that life is often like that, that random things happen when we're so quick to attach up. Well, that's good, or that's bad, or that's, well, you're so lucky, or you're so not, but... Things happen on such a broader scale that it's soft and there's, a, there's bigger stuff happening and it's not as simple as knowing what's good or what's bad or what we should control, should not control. Um, within this, there are these situations and things are shifting, right? And we can't control everything. So there's wisdom and learning. How can we embrace these changes and shifts in a way that, that lets us flow with them, whatever kind of happens, you know, because it's difficult not to, because life will be changed. And if we don't learn to embrace change, it's, it's, it's a frustrating way to live, right? Uh, one of my favorite writers, he says that every expectation is a resentment waiting to happen. Like every expectation we have on ourselves or others is just we're waiting to be disappointed, right? So I, I, I'm not sure he'd go full Zen Buddhist and just say, so don't have no attachments whatsoever. But it is that kind of thing, right? As soon as we like, I wish it was this way, that just makes us have all these conditions for experiencing joy and fullness in life. Um, and when we expect things to stay the same as they've been, because we, we've liked them, we also set ourselves up for disappointment and frustrations. And I um, remember, I've seen this in friendships. I've worked with youth and young adults for quite some time, right? And you have a good friendship group, right? Like, and often I've seen it with young adults. Like, you've got a lot of flexibility, 18 through to 22, 23, either people are doing the first degree or their apprenticeship, and they're just milling around, they've got time, whatever. By 23, people get into relationships or get into full-time work, or this is obviously generalizations, like, but they get into full-time work, and there's not as much spare time, right? So then people are like, you've changed, you're not hanging out with me as much. But I've just I've seen many cycles of this again and again and again, right? We're like, why can't we all just hang out like we used to? It's because we've got responsibilities, it's because we've got jobs, it's because we've got all these kind of things, right? But you just see it again and again. When we don't learn to embrace the changes as they come, you get stuck and you keep blaming people. I remember something blew me away once. One of my friends got married. Um, and, like, he just said the strangest thing to me. He was like, I've seen so many of my friendships, like, with other people, like, kind of disintegrate when one person gets married or, or moves away or something. He's like, what I'm going to do is, like, let's just agree to never expect anything from one another. And when we see each other, it's great because things aren't going to... But no, and I was like, what are you talking about? It was the best thing ever because there's no kind of like 
things should stay. We should hang out every week once. And, you know, it was actually just this relinquishing of like, actually, let's let things be as they are. Let's embrace this. The season that's been awesome and, and we love that, but things are different now. And it's a new kind of, it's a new kind of time, you know? And you see this in, um, uh, what was it? In relationships and marriages, right? Like, again, but it's still early days for, I guess, us, right? But like the Zoe in 20 years that I know will be very different to the Zoe that I married two and a half years ago, right? Like, and if I'm like, why couldn't you be back like you used to, you know? That's not going to go well. Like, that's not going to go well. Like, <laughs> like, you kind of, like, I think when you, like, date someone or something, you just, it's an educated guess, right? But you, you need to be prepared that they're probably going to change in ways as life comes to it. You see, you see, you do your due diligence, but like apart from that, you just gotta expect change. Um, church, I've seen this happen with church so much, right? Like, like remember the good old days. Remember when this was happening. Remember this. It's usually when people have their peer groups and then their peer groups grow up, and then it's like things have changed. It's like, well, actually, no, you've just grown up. There's another peer group who's having just as much of a great time as you did. You're just too old for that now. Um, like, I, or yeah, like I don't want to go too deep in there. The other, th- I was talking to my supervisor. I was talking to my supervisor about this. This is actually later on in the sermon, but I'm going to jump here first in case I run out of time. Um, somehow in churches, we, we, try and, we establish churches these days as if they're going to become this monolithic institute that will exist forever, you know, and like put all the structures in place and, and you know, like, and treat it as if how can we keep growing or building and this kind of stuff. Um, when I was talking to my supervisor, we were just having a chat of what if you started a church with a seven-year, like, timeline? where it's like, we're going to start this, and in seven years, we're going to shut it down. You know, how does that change things in terms of what you focus on or what you worry about or who you speak? I'm not suggesting anything. This isn't a, this isn't a coup d'etat. This, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, there's this idea of, like, we become so obsessed with planning forever that we lose the appreciation of what is here and now, and then when we want to go back to what things were, we don't get to kind of see what's in front of us and what's actually happening right now. So it's a really big preamble. So with that, how do we learn to embrace change? Because the alternative sucks. Um, another good movie, Up. It's very irrelevant to anything else. Draw, draw any conclusions you want to. Um, we're going to talk a bit about Jesus, a uh, splash of grief and forgiveness, and then a pinch of trust and hope. So um, this is like really broad concepts, um, and I th- Hopefully, they're more just like reminders for us than... None of this should be a surprise, but hopefully, it's just really relevant reminders that are useful for us tonight. So, um, following Jesus' recipe for life, turns out there's somebody took the time to make stock art of like this. Like, it's really incredible. Very Caucasian. Um, so, with... So with Jesus' recipe for life, right? Like, so one thing that I, that I hold deep to my core theology is that like every... Humanity is made in the image of God, right, uh, to reveal the Imago Day. And Jesus in Colossians 1 is described as the image of the invisible God. So when we see Jesus, he, he does two things. He shows us what God's like, but he also shows us what we are called to live like or are called to be like, right? So there's, a, there's this idea that when we look at Jesus, we see the pattern of humanity. We see the pattern of all of our lives and how they're supposed to look like or how they... Um, uh, to be revealed, right? So when we see Jesus, we see what's true everywhere and has been true at all times, right? So 
there's, he's the symbol in many ways for all of us, and he's the symbol of all creation in a sense. So, and so when we see the small things that Jesus does, it symbolizes something far bigger. And I think one of the key symbols of Jesus is his life, death, resurrection, right? This is this core pattern, right? Like Jesus lives, Jesus dies, and Jesus resurrects. But the interesting thing, this isn't a once-off. This isn't a once-off thing, like, because all of creation from its conception, so to speak, has lived in the cycle of things have lived, things have died, and things have been rebuilt into different things or resurrected into new things, so to speak. Like, we now are the combination of billions of different molecules and particles that have passed through thousands and thousands of millions of previous living things and dying. They say that every human being will have at least one atom or molecule of oxygen that existed within Jesus during his lifetime, right? They're, like, we exist in this long lineage of life, death, resurrection, these cycles and cycles of things being, things ending, and then things being reborn in a new way. This is a huge kind of pattern in all of reality, and we see it in other ways. Life, death, resurrection, things, we see it in... Um, Brueggemann calls it orientation, disorientation, reorientation, where in our lives things are going well, things start, something happens and things stop going really well, we go through a hard time, and then afterwards, whether it's a year, two years, whatever, somehow things are better than they were originally, but only because we went through a bad time. Like, there's those things that, there are hard times in our life, and you, you wouldn't go through them again, but you're somehow thankful for what you learned, and you're better off and stronger off for what's happened, right? This is, in the sciences, Thesis, antithesis, antithesis, and then synthesis, right? Like the scientific method works with this. I've got an idea. Let's destroy this idea and make it stronger. And then you weave the two together and you've got a synthesis. This is a huge pattern. And it's true from the smallest molecule to the biggest star. Like the biggest stars exist in the cycle of life, death, and rebirth, right? So Jesus and one human symbolizes what's true galactically, but he also symbolizes what's true in our life, where Everything I know now, the person I am, is because things in my life have died or they've, they've, ended, they've ended or they've finished, right? I'm the person because of, not because of my successes, but because of the hard times that have shaped me, right? This is what's true. This is change, and it's constant. Um, but he says in John 12, 24 to 25, unless a grain of gluten-free wheat is buried in the ground, did, it's, sorry, they, they found it. They just found some fresh manuscripts, and he, like, it's crazy. So it's a new translation. Um, unless a grain of gluten-free wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, is never more, any more than a grain of gluten-free. That was really distracting. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. Something has to die for new life to be born. And I, I, I love how Eugene Peterson words it. Like, and, you, and you see, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys their life. Anyone who clings to something too strongly strangles the life out of it. Like whether it's a clingy relationship or a clingy friend or a clingy boss or, you know, all this kind of stuff. Somehow it sucks life out of something. But when you're open-handed with it, when you let it be what it is in front of you, there's a spaciousness to it that is forever real and eternal, right? And this is Jesus. He's... Again, he says this right before he's, he dies and, and resurrects, right? So he's talking about himself, but he's talking about life and those things in general, whether it's our relationships, friendships, our churches, right? Like, don't, we can't cling to this. We need to be open-handed with this because we know people will leave, people will come, people will journey, you know? Um, 
There we go. What is this? Ah, and he did this later on. I was thinking a few thoughts around this. It's not just this. Later on in the scriptures, he says, unless I go, the helper won't be able to come, right? Unless Jesus was a phenomenal leader who started a worldwide ministry or movement in three years. And then he left. He just left. Like usually if something's going really well or building, like I'll be like, sweet, I'm going to ride this wave. And he's like, no, no, I need to leave. It's like, it's really hard to leave something when it's, when it's starting to do well. But he, he leaves knowing that the Holy Spirit will come and help. And he says to the disciples, you will do greater things than I, which is true because they did. We, we do. We've, we, the, he, Jesus ministered in Galilee and Judea, but the, the story of the gospel spread to the edges of the earth because of disciples, you know, when a leader leaves, they leave a void, and then people need to step up and fill that void. It, it, and it's hard to do because, like, it's hard to do because great leaders need to know when to when to finish something before it seems like it should be finished. Great leaders need to know when to make something die so new life can be resurrected. So the energy they need to know when to plant that wheat in the ground so new um, grain can come. And it, it's. It's wisdom, you know? It's difficult to do, though. It's really difficult to do. It's wisdom to know. I think something I've come to understand is you need to leave when it's still sad. You know? You never want to leave or finish up something when every party is mutually, like, awesome. What a great idea, you know? It's always good to just predict that a little sooner rather than later. Um, Okay, that's a bit about Jesus. So splash of grief and forgiveness. Why did I say splash? I think I was just really inspired by the Jesus recipe thing. So I was like, I just got like, I got a bit master chef on this one. Um, again, this is close to home for all of us, like in our own ways. Grief's a really tough thing and it's a really broad thing and we will skim over it tonight, but it's probably good to come back to at some point. But the big thing about grief is they call there's this grief cycle, right? And and many of you may have seen this. There's this process to grief. And um, where does it go? Shock, numbness, denial, emotional outbursts, anger. If we don't grieve, we become stuck. We become stuck. And, and grieving requires that we, we both recognize the good parts and the bad parts, right? You need to own the fullness of it. But the grief cycle in reality is a lot more like this, is what it's kind of like, which I think is the more accurate picture, right? Like it's not a linear process, right? We can often feel like, I was at numbness the other week, I should be at this now. But this is often what a lot of life is. It's back and forth, right? And within this process, a lot more of it is three steps forward, two steps back than anything else, actually. It's this mix of we, it catches up on us in different ways. You know, when something's changed in our life, whether, whether it's been a job or something in your family or this kind of stuff, like sometimes you're surprised when things bubble up again. You know, sometimes you're surprised what triggers you. And it's like a lot of the time we feel like we need to move on too soon. But actually, it's just about letting things come to us as they come to us in a big way. Again, one of my favorite writers, he says that, do not get rid of your pain until you've learned its lesson. You know, that somehow there's something within this that teaches us, and there's no rush to move forward within that. Like, and it's interesting. I always find it interesting within the idea of grief because it's so transformative in us, you know? It's like you never... You never wish it or you never, it's, it's one of those unfortunate realities of life, but it somehow changes us and grows us in an interesting way. I'm, uh, when Jesus resurrects, right, he comes back with the holes in his hands. He comes back with his wounds. He comes back um, not perfect in how we'd understand, but comes back marked by what he's been through. And that's where his wisdom comes from. Like, um, and 
you see it with like Brene's Brown's work. You just realize that we connect as people on our weaknesses. We connect as people within what we've been through, not from our successes. When it's all just about what we've done right, it's like everyone's like, oh, particularly in New Zealand, we don't really want to hear about what people have done right. But like as soon as you start opening up around your weaknesses, it's like, yeah, yeah, we can be mates now. Like that's where that's where it kind of happens. Like it's a it's a sacred thing. It's a sacred thing to connect in this place and there's no rush to it. But often the places where we have had grief in our life is the place where we heal from, right? Because it's where we grow in empathy and compassion for others. And I wish it wasn't, I wish none of us had to go through any of this kind of stuff, but it just seems to be one of those realities. Uh, another one. It's more three, two, three. Three steps forward, two steps back. And forgiveness. Again, gratitude, um, gratitude, uh, embracing change. Forgiveness is another one of these core messages in the messages, which I just think is something to continually be reminded about because it's forgiveness and it's the grace that Jesus models that breaks through, I guess, these cycles of shame and guilt and, and blaming, and it enables kind of new life to bubble through. So, um, yeah, I love, this is from Warrior. This is another movie. If, if you get to see it, I, something that gets me in movies is always reconciliation. It's always forgiveness. It's something deep in our hearts that just connects with, with, with forgiveness, right? And forgiveness is an interesting thing because it's so easy to just go through a cycle of blaming, they and and it's almost the difference in criminology. They called it retributive and restorative justice, right? Like, and we not, we not. Like, our, our, a lot of our criminal justice system is built on a retributive lens, where we will choose the punishment based on what someone has done and what they deserve, and that makes sense, right? Like, you've done that, so you deserve that. Um, but the interesting thing is that mentality doesn't work. You know, when when the justice system is framed upon this. You have done this and you deserve this. There's no, there's no, the recidivism rate or the reoffending rate remains pretty much the exact same, right? Because people stay where they are. Then they stay with uh, a punitive kind of like approaches that dehumanize and they leave, I guess, whether it's 10, 20, 30 years of being imprisoned with minimal upskilling, with minimal options, and often with labels being tarnished and often fall back into the same cycles they've been in, right? And uh, when I was doing my criminology degree, it was just a fascinating thing to like recognize this is how we've done justice, and it just doesn't work. And then when they started talking about this other model, which just seemed so airy-fairy and it seemed so, I guess, in the clouds, it was restorative justice, this idea of we're not going to choose the punishment based on what this person has done. We're actually going to ask what does success look like in 5, 10, 20 years, and how do we get there? It was a future-focused, what's going to need to happen for this person and everyone to be involved to be restored into a greater place, right? And I was like, this is some new age kind of stuff. And then you realize, actually, no, this is what the justice of God looks like in Scripture. This is all that Jesus was about because it was the way of the law, it was the way of the Pharisees, it was the way of the Romans that you treat people because they've done this. But Jesus consistently throughout the Scriptures he didn't see people based on pe- upon what they had done, but they saw them, he saw them based on who they were and then would say the appropriate thing or get them to do the appropriate thing that would enable their restoration, right? So they, he would, your faith has healed you. Go present yourself to the, um, the temple priest to be restored in that sense as well publicly, right? Jesus' model of restoration was always restorative. It was about what needs to happen for this person to be healed, to be transformed, right? Which is, it's 
beautiful theology. It's also beautiful. It's the heartbeat of modern counseling and like Rogerian method, like methods of um, unconditional positive regard, right? People will change when they feel a sense of security, to be honest, right? Not because they're forced to be a certain way. So um, grace empowers change. Grace empowers the safe spaces where people can actually be honest and then then find um, some sense of freedom, right? So Forgiveness in the context of change in life requires, it's at multiple levels, like um, there's ourselves. Forgiving ourselves is a huge part of this, actually. Forgiving ourselves for what we've, like when people are often critical of others, they're often more critical of themselves, right? So when you, there's a critic that you encounter in your day just somehow holding the, the grace that they, they treat themselves pretty hard as well. So forgiveness happens at multiple levels. There's for ourselves, there's for others, there's for life itself, and there's for God, in a sense, as well. And I don't want to go too much into the God part, but the ourselves, others in life, like, forgiveness helps us, I guess, take the next step to unclench our fists, to, to let go and to have open hands. And I think um, as things change, right, in our lives, as um, we can choose to hold on to what's been, and we can be justified within that, right? And it's not a quick process to kind of let go of that stuff, but a part of change is just choosing to let go of what's happened and to forgive life for being what it is. Whether that's justified or not, I'm not sure, but it just seems to open up spaces to take life as it comes, to be able to free our hands up, to be able to receive what's actually coming our way, what's actually happening in the here and now. And then a pinch of trust and hope. And this is... um. I think one of the truest things, and I, find, I do find it frustrating, is um, I don't find it. I find it frustrating because it's the same place that I always get back to after trying to control my entire life. Like, there's this, every sermon ends up just being about trusting God. Have you ever noticed that? And it's just always frustrating. Like, it's like, oh, no, it always comes back to that place. And it's like, but it actually is such a, it's such a true Cliche. And cliches are cliches for a reason, right? Because we often take control. We often take that space of um, just doing everything on our, own, on our own terms. But at the end of the day, like we need to have our kind of life rest on some sense of trust that's deeper than ourselves and what we can control, or that's deeper than um, our family and what they can control, right? So within this, within the pattern of Jesus' life, we see this life, death, resurrection thing. It's that's a way to put our trust in, to trust that when things finish, when things change, that there's a way, there's a deep sense of whatever's happening right now, somehow, God, I hope that you are weaving this together. And he says in Scripture, he's weaving things together for the good of those, like, you know, the, the good of those, that somehow I can't understand this, but you're bringing this into something new, right? So, um, and it's making sense. Like, it's hard to find trust and hope, but um, Frankel, Victor Frankel, he says that, Suffering ceases to be suffering when it finds its home and meaning in our life. That when we look back on the changes that have happened in our life, when you look back on the shifts, it doesn't get easier, but, but in some senses when we can understand what we've learned, we can make sense of our experience. I've learned this, or this is what's happened, or these are some good things that have come out. Um, it, in a sense, suffering loses its sting, he says, you know? So a good way to, to kind of embrace change, to unclench of us, is to write about what you've been going through and to ask, what have I learnt through this, you know? I wouldn't want to go through this again, but what have I learnt and how have I made sense of this? 
Another thing is to understand that everything belongs somehow in our life. Um, years ago, I remember there was a, one of my friends came up with this uh, statement that, that people were just trying to chase the summer around the world. This is when we used to be able to travel. So people would, just go from, people would just go from New Zealand summer to summer camp to New Zealand summer to summer camp, you know, on this cycle for like four or five years. And, and he was just like, ah, people are just trying to chase the summer. But every season has its place. Every season has its purpose in our life. Like it's in winter that all the energy in a tree goes into itself and makes the rings and strengthens the tree, right? Like, and if we're continually trying to chase the summer and the good parts, we miss out on the depth and the growth of what's happening in all the seasons, and actually, and a good, I guess, in spiritual direction, there'd be this practice of just going outside for a walk and noticing how the trees are changing. It'd be like, these trees are, these leaves are going, we're in winter now, but these trees, are, these leaves are going, and this is deciduous, uh, these trees are going orange or red, and it's like, what in my life is going, what in my life is like falling off, you know? Or then when you come to spring, it's like, what's new is coming in my life? You know, seasons teach us something, like, we can't just change, we can't just chase the summer our whole lives. We need to embrace actually all these aspects of life and find out what each part's trying to teach us. Everything belongs. And I think, um, I guess one kind of final thought for us to think of is the first law of thermodynamics, um, which is? Oh, maybe it's the second law of thermodynamics. Do you want to search up? Energy cannot be created nor destroyed. Third? Well, let's just pretend it's the first. Okay. So on Tim's first law of thermodynamics, like energy cannot be created nor destroyed, right? And this goes back to life, death, resurrection. When something finishes in our life, it doesn't finish forever because the energy just gets transformed into something different. And it just gets moved into something different, right? And I remember it was actually with Zoe. We were talking about one of our home groups we ran maybe three years ago, right? And, had, and wrap, we wrapped it up. Um, we finished it. And, it. and at the time, I just couldn't make sense of what, it, what was going on and what wasn't going on. And it was her who she's disappeared to make sticky date pudding now. But thank you. But she... Um, she reminded me, she's like, this wasn't a failure. This wasn't a mistake. For, for a year, these people were here, like every week or every two weeks, and they've left in a different way. Then their lives have been changed by this, right? Just because things finished doesn't mean they're a failure. The question is, we have to ask, when things are happening, when they do finish, will the energy be in a positive way or will the energy be in a negative way? Like how can we use what we have in front of us and how can we shape it knowing it's going to finish and knowing it's going to end and hoping that somehow it's better off than when we left it, right? So um, again, I'm, not gonna, I'm going to use this as an example, not as a prophetic example, but like say if, that if in five years Shaw Vineyard finished, ceased to exist as a church, that we could approach that time and be like, we've been so thankful for the... 38 years that we've had here. We've been so thankful for the last five years with Tim here. We've been so, so thankful for <laughs> Yeah, especially this, the glory years, the golden age. No, um, but this idea that like, wow, we're so thankful for that. And here's how we are all deeper and stronger. And we step into what's next in a better way that somehow we've deepened in ourselves and the energy leaves and it's been shifted. And there's something new, there's resurrection coming through. And actually, well, this is why I do appreciate Vineyard as a church planting institution for all it. Yeah, this is why I do appreciate Vineyard as a church planting institution because church plants, in a sense, 
something dies, but it gets replanted, you know, and then somehow it's stronger in the long run by embracing little bits of uh, little bits of things finishing along the way, which is what spiritual disciplines are as well, right? Like every every spiritual discipline of like prayer or every spiritual discipline of reflection is a little bit of dying to yourself every day as you ask, like, what, how have I been selfish, right? Like, if you ask, how have I been selfish today and who do I need to apologize every day? You have 365 times in a year to just die a little bit to your own ego um, rather, than it, rather than not asking that and it just being like a sledgehammer to the face because you've, I don't know, I, I mean metaphorically, like, because, I don't, yeah, I don't want to joke. No, I won't joke about that. But, um, you know, it's asking these questions, how do we die that little bit kind of every day and reorient where the energy is kind of going, you know? And this is the thing. So before we go, we'll wrap up soon. I just want to do a prayer practice of sorts. And it's, um, it's something that I picked up from my former boss pastor that he picked up from another spiritual director I think I can't remember where from but it was just three kind of um three kind of symbols and the first was uh surrender so you have your hands down and you just think what do I need to let go of what have I been clenched fisted with what what do I actually just need to let go of the second is receive what do I need to receive from God and then the third is go like where is God sending me where do I need to so maybe I've been stuck somewhere I need to step out of the boat so to speak that would have been a good scripture for this Someone can talk about Peter next week. But, like, so it's what do I need to let go of? What do I need to receive? And where do I need to go? Where am I being sent? What's the next step in my journey? Cool. So why don't we pray and do that quick little exercise, and I'll lead you guys through that, and then we'll go and have some pud. Cool. Let's close our eyes. I just invite you to lay your palms down just as a symbol of letting go. And just ask, Holy Spirit, what do you need me to let go of? frustrations or grudges or resentments, missed opportunities. to turn your palms upwards as a sign of receiving. And just ask the Holy Spirit, what do you have that's new for me? What new things are you inviting me into?
finally I invite you to uh, point your hands outwards as a sign of going, sign of mission. Just ask Holy Spirit, who are you sending me to? Where are you sending me to? Creator God, we give thanks for the space that we can gather each week and remember you and hopefully remember who we are and who we're called to be. We've talked about change tonight. I, I pray for a peace and a sense of your guidance and wisdom for all of us through what we're going through, knowing that there's different things going on in each of our lives. I pray that you help us trust deeply that that may seem like chaos and things are out of, out of whack, that somehow you bring new life into things. Somehow you bring beauty out of chaos. Somehow you make beautiful things out of the strangest circumstances. So we uh, offer wherever, whatever we're up to, we, are, we offer whatever's changing in our life, whatever feels lost. We just invite you to move in us. We pray that you help us, give us the eyes to see new opportunities in new life. Help us hold what is open-handedly and help us not cling too much to the past or worry too much about the future so we can be open-hearted with what is in front of us right now and whoever is in front of us right now. And we pray that you help us be people who always search for resurrection in ourselves and others. And we live in trust and hope for who you are and what you're doing among us. In beautiful and mighty name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.